0: Welcome to New Planet, a podcast where we inform and enable a sustainable lifestyle. Hello, hello. How's it going, Xander?
1: Pretty good, man. Another day, another episode. How you doing?
0: Good, just been uh, getting settled in here, spending a lot of time watching, you know, impeachment stuff, I don't know, just kind of sitting around. Big changes coming, man. Well, welcome back to the
1: North West. that's what I say.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. Um, so yeah, what are we going to be talking about today, or who are we going to be talking
1: to? Ooh, so we got this guy here, his name's Hans Von Clem. He's a pretty cool guy. I met him last time I was in San Francisco. He lives with some of my friends and we kind of hit it off after talking about sustainability. So uh, Hans, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So thank you guys both for having me on. I'm very excited to do this. I'm Hans. I'm from San Francisco, just south, and I grew up in this area, you know, surrounded by tech, I hate I hate the way that sounds, but it's true. And it really, I like could ended up it ended up being a big part of me um, growing up in the Silicon Valley when it was, you know, a little past its infancy. So I grew up just south of the city. Uh, my dad is incredibly environmentally friendly, like in in all the you know most cliche ways, like. Doesn't matter how cold it is. We're not turning the heat on. Just throw on coats, throw on whatever you need. <laughs> you'll live. You know, we're gonna wash all the reusable plastic bags. Or they're not reusable. Technically, sometimes they are. Anyways, wash yeah. them. You know, reuse them. Uh, the works. Bike everywhere, regardless of you know how far it's gonna be. You can, you know, make it happen. So that really, that those are some of the, the values that were instilled on in me from a really young age, and kind of stuck with me for the rest of my life so far, (laughs) and (laughs) so um, after a year abroad, like as a gap year where I kind of just traveled, I went to the University of Colorado, studied mechanical engineering. Throughout those uh, four years of school, I had two really, really transformative, phenomenal internships here in San Francisco at this small, uh, basically research facility, independent think tank. Called Other Lab, and that's why I'm at now. So that's pretty much the past twenty four years in a nutshell. <laughs>
1: nice, very nice. Where
2: do you uh?
0: Where do you go on your gap year? Where do you travel to?
2: Uh yeah, so I it's pretty pretty great. I flew up to to Alaska like probably like three or four days after I graduated high school, and worked worked in the in Juneau, Alaska for the for the tour agencies. So like. These flocks of, flocks of like mostly old, old white ladies and old white men. <laughs> they get off their boats, and like all they want to do, they go want to go see whales or like take a take a trip to this huge glacier, the Mendenhall Glacier in Juneau, and um, yeah. So I worked there just like literally, like they would go, get off the the boat and we'd be like pedaling them tour tickets, like being like, oh yeah, go to this lodge, get get on this bus. It's hilarious. So that was like part of the job. And then every Monday morning, we had to wake up at five thirty in the morning. And clean all the buses. Like that was literally our job. So, damn. (laughs) um, That was great. That was like, I mean, that was only for the summertime. And then I I flew down to South America, hitchhiked to Patagonia, hitchhiked back up the West Coast there. And then, oh yeah, I worked all winter as a ski instructor in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is also fantastic. (laughs) That sounds awesome.
1: Cool. So, some real appreciation for nature right there. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about, like, Other Lab and kind of what role you play there and what your day-to-day looks like?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, Other Lab is this. It uh, was founded in 2009 by uh, a man named uh, Saul Griffith. And he is he's pretty... Pretty smart, you know. He, (laughs) let's see, how do I put this? Um, Saul's just like the most amazing, intelligent human, and he's got nothing but ideas. Like, I kid you not, five ideas a day that could like potentially be amazing products or whatever. And obviously, one man can't handle all that, all that, you know, work. So he built this basically research facility to facilitate and bring a lot of these ideas to fruition. so it's basically like uh, a f- internally funded research think tank research facility think tank that focuses on different climate change solutions and all the ideas either come from him or from somewhere he- someone here that you know that we just have the ideas through some serendipitous Uh, action or research or what have you so yeah
0: i mean looking at the website that pretty much seems spot on because you say he's like full of ideas and looking at like the past projects and current projects it's just some like it's like a crazy like uh, rainbow of different ideas and projects that you've taken on
2: that it's crazy yeah absolutely so there's like tons of different projects from robotics you know we have Right behind me here, so I'm in the office now. But like right behind me here, we have like all these huge robot arms that are uh, actuated with air, so they're they're pneumatic robot arms, and they can like literally pick up pick up objects. And there's just there's no moving parts within them other than different different uh, air pockets that expand or <laughs> don't expand. And um, there's just tons of different projects that have come out of here. And now, so effectively, the, the way it works is, uh, no, you know, and I someone will have an idea. Then you find funding for the idea, you try and build a build a team, and then if all goes well, then the that te- once the team gets big enough, they'll effectively leave other lab and uh, you know become a larger company or potentially be sold or you know, you understand that yeah. the, the tech market's kind of a it, it's out all, all over the place. <laughs> That's
1: really cool. Are there any projects that you've worked on or are working on that have been your favorite, or is there any specific project that kind of comes to mind that you would like to share?
2: Um, I mean, it's just, like, everything we do here is so much fun, and most days you, you had to speak to the day-to-day, like, should I have an idea of what I'm going to do every morning when I get out of bed, but potentially I could be doing the complete opposite, because there's, like I said, there's just so many random little things that we're working on, or or maybe you have a an idea that you want to pursue, you know, like, some... Some way to increase the efficiency of solar panels or what have you, and you can just you can work on that for the day. Um, but I would say we do a lot of work with uh, electric vehicles. So we've made several electric cars, uh, mostly solar powered electric cars. We have these four wheel drive, like literally all wheel drive go karts that are electric, and they they accelerate from. I don't know, they accelerate faster than a Tesla for sure, <laughs> zero, to, zero to 40. Like, I'll say that. We can call Elon Musk. Uh, put, him, put, put him on the line. I'll, we'll beat him in a drag race to 30 miles an hour. I'd but, watch
0: that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, it's just those things. Like, some days, you know, I'll be typing all day. Some days I'll just be, like, working with my hands. We have a like state-of-the-art uh, machine shop downstairs with all the tools you could really need to prototype anything. So. I'd say day to day is tough to tough to say because there's just so many different different things that we're working on.
1: Well, I guess we started talking about like green transportation, and you mentioned like green, uh, electrifying the grid and EVs versus e-bikes, and I kind of wanted to talk more about transportation infrastructure, not only just for EVs and e-bikes, but just kind of the shifts that we need to make as a society towards green transportation. Like e-bikes are really cool. You can get like in Seattle, we have e-line bikes, which are like a dollar and then like 10 cents per mile or per minute. And then Uber has their own e-bikes too. So you like e-bikes are definitely a new thing, but I think we need to focus a lot on the infrastructure because it's not super safe for people to be riding around on these e-bikes, especially with the current infrastructure that we have. So just want to hear your thoughts.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would, to speak to that, I would completely agree. Like the technology at its core is great, but the either it's too early given the way that cities are designed, right? So like you, you could imagine a, a futuristic city that had very little um, road, like car traffic, and then it had, you know, I mean, like obviously the, a lot of Nordic countries come to mind, like Copenhagen or Amsterdam, right? Like there's very little car traffic, but very well maintained and organized bike traffic routes mm-hmm. right so um like our cities weren't built that way that's they were built for Ford f-150s you know <laughs> yeah and um so we need two things we need like a shift in like how how these cities are redesigned to put cyclists first mm-hmm. right and then also you need to convince people that yeah you're not gonna get I mean like the, the number of the number of pedestrian deaths in San Francisco is absurd. Like annually it's it's like okay, absurd. it's more than ten. Which oh, is sure. more than <laughs> which it's like it's I, I don't know the number, I'd have to look it up and it's gonna mess up the audio if I if I start typing. But um and then the other issue is the these these bike shares and I would love your guys' input too. Like I'm I'm really not an expert. I'm just I just, whatever. But, um, the bike shares are like, it's, it's terribly, it's managed so poorly. You know, they get thrown all over place. People park Mm -hmm. him, you know, in random spots. Like I heard a story about this old lady. She's like walking out of her house. This isn't like a fable. This is literally like a a first person story that, that was told to me. Um, like she literally, like she walked out of her house and someone had just left a, like a, a scooter, like a, Scooter like sitting there right at her b- bottom step, and she like tripped over it and like sprained her arm or something. It's like, I don't know, it's yeah,
0: like, like I can speak to that too. I mean, like when I was in San Diego, birds and lime scooters, like those were the big thing, yeah. And I mean, San Diego's like really highway driven, you have to basically use a highway to get to like any diff like a uh, specific kind of neighborhood, I guess, but yeah. birds were still really um convenient there but i'd say like every other person i asked was always just like oh i hate birds like i hate these scooters like they're so stupid and i'm just like i don't know i'm like maybe like you said the organization behind them and just like the infrastructure is not right which i would agree because people freaking leave them everywhere and um and that can be a huge problem um But people like sometimes just take it too far. Also, like people like vandalize the scooters and they take them and like throw them off of a hill like cliffs or into the water. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, come on. I think the idea of um, of having those electric V like scooters and bikes is so like that's the future. If (laughs) you don't have to buy your own bike, you can just rent a bike or whatever and bike it around the city to where you have to go. That's perfect. But um, yeah, the infrastructure maybe just isn't quite there.
2: Yeah, and the, I mean, the other problem is like people have very little respect for things that they don't personally own, you know? That's true. And that's kind of a societal issue, which I don't have the solution to. But so, like, potentially the, the alternative is that you make an incredibly compelling alternative that people can buy at a cost competitive price point. And, you know, and you, you, you make it where it's difficult to steal, you know, the theft is super low. I don't know. I can get into some things that potentially we're working on to, to help solve that. I mean, you look at you look at China, right? They basically the like the government, the cities there put no regulation on who could who could um, you know deposit bikes. They were just like, oh, any company you can start a bike share in any city, and these hmm. these companies you can you can look them up. Like it's like just type it in, search Chinese bike graveyard, and there's. Like millions of bikes just like thrown about in the Damn. in these landfills because, they, I mean, they just got put it's in cities. People were tripping over them, and then the cities were like, "No, this is terrible. We'll get out of our city." Yeah, um,
1: that's not a very sustainable solution.
2: Not at all. <laughs> that's like the literally the opposite. Unfortunately, <laughs> maybe even if maybe the people who started it had a, you know, a good like a good mindset or,
0: yeah. Earlier, like, you had, you had mentioned that the cities aren't even, or, like, aren't set up for that either, and we just give too much space to cars, and I don't know if you guys have seen, this, like, came up sort of recently, but it's kind of like a political cartoon almost, but more just, like, an illustration by a Swedish artist, and it's, uh, it's like, yeah, how much space we give to cars, essentially, mm-hmm. and, you know, the sidewalks are still there and solid, but instead of a road, it's just, like, a pit, like a bottomless pit, and, like, kind of for a crosswalk, like, a board is put across this pit, and you see people walking across it. Um, but it's kind of, it, you know, it's sort of an exaggeration, because, you, you know, you can bike on the street, I guess, technically, but they weren't made for bikes in the first place. Right. Yeah. But it is it is sort of a cool illustration of, like, how cities were made for cars, and <laughs> they're not made for bikes, they're not made for scooters, or even pedestrians. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's cool, though.
1: And, like, I... I lived in the Netherlands for a couple months, and the infrastructure there for biking is incredible. Like, there is a specific spot on the sidewalk for the bikes. People don't even walk in it, and everyone's just cruising on their bikes, and then there's a spot for walking, and then there's a spot for driving, which is rarely used because most people are even biking, but the, th- the problem with these birds and these scooters and these bikes and stuff is people are either on the road where we designated that space for cars or on the sidewalk where we designated that space for pedestrians. So everyone yeah. is mad at it because there <laughs> isn't actual space and infrastructure for these electric bikes and scooters. So the core problem is definitely the infrastructure and it's hard to make that change on an individual level because it's such a large problem. But I, th- I think we're moving in that direction as a society towards a more bike friendly lifestyle
2: yeah absolutely and i mean we'll see it for sure in our lifetimes it, it, we're gonna have a pretty interesting transition here too because like right now there's almost like a, a hatred between like some some type of rivalry between someone on a, a bike and someone in a car you know <laughs> and like sure obviously unfortunately you have to give like the car credit they will kill you so i guess <laughs> you should probably get away yeah. um but i mean soon i don't know we'll see yeah. there are solvable problems, it's just it, it's institutional, it's not it's not like I can't just go out one day and be like, hmm, everyone should buy I will more. build a road <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. um, alright, well like another
0: so another thing that is relevant both to your work and to this topic is energy storage because um, I know this is something that you do specifically work on, I think it's like thermal storage yeah. um, but energy storage in general is I mean, we all know that renewables are sort of the way of the future if we're moving towards a green economy. We all agree on that. So that's, like, solar, wind, nuclear, hydro, other and other sources. But um, you can't just produce all that energy and use it all at once. Like, either the the demand will probably be too low. You'll have, like, an overproduction of energy, and then what do you do? You just waste it? No, like, you need to store it, right? So, um what can you say about like the current state of energy storage and like, what are you doing and what other, what are other people doing maybe to kind
2: of advance energy
0: storage and that sort of technology?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So first I just want to mention like um, this, the whole solving, solving climate change, it might seem incredibly daunting right now, but if you look at like adoption rates of new technologies, once you get past it like 10 to 15% inflection point of, adoption so say like the smartphone right it took what 3 years for 10% of people to own smartphones 10 years later you have 100% adoption just about right yeah that's um, true but that's that's just one example like this is it's basically like a fundamental law of, of market like market driving where once you once you reach a certain inflection point of of ownership or whatever market share it just skyrockets and so maybe you can be like, oh, how in the world are we going to, you know, go completely electric on our transportation by 2050? Well, I mean, once we hit that 10%, more likely than not, it's the rest is going to fall like dominoes. So, um, yeah, effectively, in order to – there's there's basically, like, to me, four, four things that we have to solve, right? Transportation, that's already on its way, right? Everyone's buying their Teslas um, or whatever they – their their alternative maybe people are hopefully you know commuting less you know living in cities and whatnot um so yeah basically transportation um energy energy generation another one like these technologies are well well established they're doing so incredibly well um storage right and and then at some point we're gonna have to do some some carbon sequestration so that's just where you we just pull carbon dioxide back out of the out of the atmosphere because we need to, you know, basically make up for all the greenhouse gases that we've already emitted. So um, those those four problems are like luckily trees exist. Trees do an amazing job at sequestering carbon. You don't need to you don't need anything more than just to not even necessarily trees. You can grow trees. You can grow, you know. Um, Miscanthus grass, which has super deep roots, you can grow, grow algae. If you if you grow algae on an industrial scale, you can store a hundred tons of carbon dioxide per per hectare per year, which is like it has. That's a, those are greater yields than planting a farm on the same plot of land. But um, point being, like these are all problems that are absolutely solvable, and we will solve them simply because there's no alternative to solving them. And, um, yeah, it's like, it's just a matter of making it happen and, you know, putting your, making your voice heard where you can and figuring out the solutions beforehand so that once the politics change or once the economics change, you're there with the, the solution. So to that note, um, yeah, so energy storage is huge, right? Uh, like you said, I guess for, for like a very simple example, if you, if you look at Uh, renewable generation of of energy specifically solar energy right you're only generating energy during the middle of the day so at night right at night you're gonna have to you're still gonna want to use energy so you have to store it for that for the later time that's just the simplest form obviously Um, on a utility scale it gets a little more complicated because there's a lot of other different energy sources renewable energy sources you know but we'll just stick with that so Um, there's a lot of different battery technologies out there. They all have different levels of um, either development or market share or uh, manufacturing, like, basically, like, economies of scale set up. And um, so some of them just to throw, like, is that a good thing? I'll just throw some out there. So, like, everyone knows lithium ion. Lithium's great. It's incredibly portable. Uh, that's what you guys have on your cell phones and your cars etc but in terms of um, cycle count which means like the number of times you can completely charge and drain the battery it's pretty weak it's actually it's very bad and that over a lifetime of a product I mean you obviously know this if you you know you have a phone that's four years old and suddenly it stays charged for half as long you know uh, But anyway so over the lifetime of a product that becomes slightly less, if you if you want to install a battery in your home, you're not going to replace a twenty thousand dollar battery every six years when the battery gets bad, right? And so, that's kind of created a market for a bunch of alternatives that use either different uh, chemical compositions, or um, you know, there's there's surprisingly there's luckily there's a lot of different ways to store electrons and a lot of different ways to store energy, so. Um, basically, the like the ticket here is to have a battery that you can use to store lots of energy for a very long time, at while still retaining the cycle count, so that you can use that, that battery for many many years. And um, regardless, uh, like so, most people. Sorry, I'm all over the place, guys. But <laughs> no,
0: no worries.
2: Hear me out. Um, most people today. <laughs> Like if, if you wanna, if let's just say you wanna you have a solar grid or solar array on your on your roof, and you wanna go off grid or you wanna you know become less in, less dependent on the grid, you're gonna also get probably a stack of lithium ion batteries attached to your wall. Okay, we'll give them a ten year warranty. Great, they so you can have that battery for ten years on your wall. Um, unfortunately, you're gonna spend about twenty cents per kilowatt hour cycle. For those batteries, which is, it's it's not insignificant because if you were going to buy that that same electricity from the grid, depending on where you live, you're only you're going to spend less than that in most places, right? And so, like right there, it becomes obvious that that doesn't make sense. Yeah, if you do any any amount of research, you can see yes, the price of lithium ion is going to drastically decrease in the next five years, potentially. 10x uh, depending on estimates but still that's that's something that I mean we don't know that's necessarily gonna happen so um, then you, you look at alternatives there's several potential alternatives um, and personally something that I'm working on is actually taking all of the energy that you need to store thermally for a home so that would you can store that, that. Thermal loads of a home include um, heating, cooling, and domestic hot water, refrigeration. In a way, but it becomes a little more complicated. But anyways, those those energy needs for the average American household account for sixty percent of the energy used. So that's like that's a lot. What you might as well do is take that energy and store it thermally right away. Right? Does that make sense? So ha- yeah, how do you do that? Just a big bucket of water. Effectively, yeah. So, like, the, <laughs> it comes down. I, I'm not kidding you. It comes down to running heat pump. So the other nice thing is heat pumps. They they don't actually directly generate heat, but they actually they move heat or cool. Right? They actually move energy from from one location to another using a refrigeration cycle. So, um, and. So you're basically you're running you're using electrons right you're using electricity in order to run pumps that move energy from two place from one place to another. They're incredibly efficient. There's some heat pumps out there that they can they can actually store four to five times as much energy as you use to run the pump, right? So that right there is amazing. Let's just say as a direct multiplier, if you have sixty percent of your home energy uses is Thermal, and now you have a five x efficiency, or let's just say three three x efficiency on that thermal load. Then, now suddenly you 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 need way less energy overall as a home. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. Wait. So,
0: like, is the energy literally being stored in water?
2: Yeah. So, basically, today, if you um, thermal storage tanks exist, but they exist for specifically they exist because of the market that, that was created in evacuated tube solar evacuated tube solar is um, it's basically you, you pump you pump water up to your roof and it sits in the Sun it gets hot right and then you can use it in your house so so to pair that you pair evacuated tube solar with these huge pressurized tanks um, which sit in your basement or next to your house or whatever unfortunately those tanks they're they have to be pressurized. They have to be pressurized because the, the the pressure from heating that water on the roof and the pressure from the the street, like the the piped piped water from the street is super high. And and so what this leads to is you, you end up spending way more on storing this thermal energy than you than you should be. Does that make sense a little? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I'm developing is basically non-pressurized. Energy storage tanks and sophisticated, sophisticated controls that uh, take inputs from the grid, take inputs from the user, and take inputs from the weather forecasts in order to store exactly the amount of energy you need at a super low cost, incredibly efficiently. And you end up spending, like I said earlier, on a, with a power wall, you're going to spend 20, 20 cents per kilowatt hour to store it. And now you can spend like half a cent to one cent to store the same amount of energy. Hmm. So, so now, and I'm not like honestly, I'm not. I have I'm a full supporter of lithium ion. I'm not saying like it. It's still absolutely either lithium ion or some other form of storing electrons is a solution for your home. Is a solution to in your in anyone's home. But um, it, you need to, like in a perfect world, you need both, right? You need right. you need some amount of lithium ion storage or an alternative and some amount of thermal storage and this way you can you can bring down the cost of decarbonizing your home way down right because like the sad truth is today the price of natural gas is so low like it's it basically it drives all competitors out of the market because you can buy natural gas for such a low cost that there's no reason to to invest in some other alternative, like a heat pump or electric electric resistance heat, resistive heating, and so now we're just we're putting all this infrastructure into gas pipes and natural yeah. gas infrastructure, just so that people can burn more, like create more greenhouse gases. Yeah, I think
0: the whole like idea behind gas being like the transition fuel between like dirty fossil fuel, more dirty fossil fuels, like oil and coal and renewables is it like frustrates me a lot because I know that, you know, it is to a certain degree cleaner, right? But it's still a fossil fuel. And I don't know, I like I see these garbage trucks going around, at least I did in San Diego that were like, oh, powered by clean natural gas and it's like it's literally the definition of green- greenwashing because the, yeah. the cars are like painted green or blue and it's like for the planet and i'm like are you serious man like come on
2: i know and it hurts to see it and like <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry people don't recognize that natural gas is natural gas is primarily methane Yeah, at least
0: like the accidental like release of methane that's
2: not accounted for, right? So yeah, so and methane, methane, depending on estimates, has a forty to eighty x markup on greenhouse gas like GWP global warming potential. Yeah, Um, and so sure, potentially the combustion is cleaner. You get you get more energy per per like unit mass, but ultimately no, it's 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 BS. Like yeah, be, that's the other thing. People always lobby against um, against shutting down natural gas drilling, right? Like a lot of lot lots of states have tried to do it in the past years, and everyone's like, no, like other if if you do that, it's gonna make coal way more way more expensive, and then people are gonna burn more coal. And no, that's not true. It's gonna make heating your house any other way so expensive that you that you're required to use heat pumps right it's going to it's going to force it's going it's going to become a market driver that forces better consumer decisions right so i mean it's effectively a carbon tax unfortunately the, the problem with carbon taxes themselves is they take or carbon taxes not but any type of sin tax that's what it's called right where you where you're your tax for a sin, you know, the, you'll see them too now in, in a lot of progressive cities. Like you, you're gonna pay an extra thirty cents for a can of sugar soda, right? But the problem is, it takes like twelve years for for these taxes to actually penetrate the market because like either people don't know or they, you know, they're already like addicted to their cigarettes or whatever, whatever, whatever it may be, right? And so we and we don't have twelve years anymore. So we ha- we have to find a different solution that that isn't that's purely economical. It's not like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. I agree. At the end of the day, the economics makes the decision. If it's not affordable, people aren't going to do it. And so we need to keep economics in mind when transitioning to a more sustainable future. And I I agree when, I guess, like talking about energy storage again, like the, the combination of batteries with these thermal storage tanks or just other alternatives for storing energy is important to think about. And, um, when it comes to batteries, like we still have to mine the materials and manufacture them. So there's all these, um, negative effects on the planet that come from producing sure batteries that we need to keep in mind. So I just kind of wanted to bring, bring up the manufacturing costs too, but we definitely need to make some changes when it comes to energy storage. And I'm interested, to see these thermal storage tanks and heat pumps be a more standard addition to homes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're the word you're looking for is embedded carbon, right? Yep. Um, any process is going to have some amount of embedded carbon. If you if you have to mine lithium to put in lithium ion batteries, that's a ton of embedded carbon. If you have to turn on your spigot in order to fill a tank with water, that's it's already structured in our society where it, you a you pay nothing you pay like one and a half cents a gallon which in itself is absurd like i wish people paid a lot more for their water because they wouldn't take 40 minute showers and they wouldn't take baths but it's fine um yeah i totally agree with you we have to you have to you have to take everything into account i mean the, the biggest the biggest place there is if you want to look at embedded embedded carbon it's in the embedded carbon in, in construction because like there's all these buildings, you know, that are going up, especially from like, the greenwashing companies. They're like, oh yeah, we we have like lead standard ten, whatever. I have no idea what the standards are, but um, what what you're not looking at is what they're not considering is the embedded carbon in like transporting all the materials. You know, the insane amounts of amounts of waste that come from a commercial job site. Like these things are these things are not negli- non negligible. Unfortunately. Right. Everything takes carbon to produce.
1: Yeah. And we just have to be aware of it and minimize it. Yeah.
2: <clears throat>
0: with like all the controversies that come with uh, like with nuclear power. One of the biggest ones that people like to bring up is the, you know, the embedded carbon that comes with constructing a nuclear power plant because of the ridiculous amounts of cement that you have to use to make one. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Since, uh, God, we could have an entire episode on nuclear power, obviously. Uh, yeah. But First, I, um,
2: I, my my mindset, just to give me give you like thirty seconds, is like it's it's honestly not worth the argument because it, it's you're you're pitting two groups of people who who have the same goal against each other. You know, like and and ultimately we have the same goal. If it's going to be so difficult convincing the right that nuclear is the, the path forward when sure it is, it could be, it's not worth it when you can focus all your energies on on technologies that exist today and are completely adoptable at scale, right? So today you can buy solar panels so cheaply, they're, they're so cheap and yeah, I can get, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah I think it's a tough one because I mean I've read a paper or two that you know put in different pathways to get to um, clean carbon or clean like green economies and and you know the, the best pathway to get to for example like two degrees like below two degree warming over the next uh, century um, and they all generally include like all of their pathways that are the best ones include some sort of nuclear uh element to them
2: okay i will because uh, yeah. i'll push back i i, I agree it, it, it's <laughs> no, a, please it's, do. it's please do it's great it's great like nuclear it's an amazing technology ultimately it's also finite so you're creating an issue that someone's gonna have to solve in like 2500 years you're like you'll run out you'll run out of uranium they will right that's that's the first thing so like why 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 solve this intermediary in, intermediary step when we can effectively skip it and go straight to the next one the other thing is the costs of trend like T and d costs of electricity transmission and distribution are high they're they're very high like in a lot of places that could account for 50 50% of the cost of your electricity it's just them plus transporting the it exactly plus all the losses and so if you can instead decentralize electricity generation, right? So so I guess the one the one caveat to this is if you, you know, if you built a small a miniature nuclear reactor for like per zip code. Right? That that that's the alternative and then that nuclear reactor is for that, you know, those 5,000 10,000 homes. That's that's that would be fine because or like you you look at the wildfires in in California, they're they're all ultimately because of poor, um, not all of them, but most of them are because of poor management of the of the uh, electricity lines, right? You're, you're te- if you look, yeah. at, you know what's PG and E. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> don't dog Shut my up. local, my local <laughs> investor in, investor-owned utility. <laughs> um, they'll cut off my power, but um, if you look at. I lost my train of thought, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) maybe we can kind of transition into our thoughts on the near and long term future of our society when it comes to like a greener, more optimistic future. So I'd be interested in, you know, kind of sharing our thoughts and kind of having a little discussion
2: about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd say, I'd say Hans is pretty optimistic if, if i've heard things correctly
2: (laughs) i mean like i'm lucky enough to work with some absolutely amazing people and um just like the amount of ideas i hear all the time even even like uh this is kind of another hot topic like but geoengineering you know it's there's there's some if There is no future where some form of geoengineering doesn't exist. I mean, it already does exist in in many ways. But to not like the you know what geo just for anyone who doesn't know what geoengineering is, yeah, um, thank you. It's it's basically uh, engineering the environment. So that there's lots of.
0: I mean, I think it's just like altering nature to any degree. Like I know that geoengineering is people have ideas for geoengineering clouds or whatever so that they reflect more sunlight exactly that's something that's really controversial for example because they don't know how that's actually going to necessarily affect the global temperature or what kind of side effects that may have so that's one example i think well what's your opinion xander on I you you like to be more optimistic than maybe I.
1: Yeah, to be, so. yeah. I I'm I'm optimistic for a future, and I think that uh, like Hans kind of brought up a good point. Like these are all problems that we need to solve, and they will be solved. It's only a matter of time and investment. So, as more and more people are aware of it and are focused on solving it, I think we're moving towards that direction. So I'm I'm optimistic.
0: Um, let's see. Yeah. I, I think I fluctuate between my optimism and pessimism and, uh, yeah. Anybody who knows me probably knows that. So, um, but I don't know, like I look at people like Hans or Renan, for example, and people that are doing these projects and this work that is really like the, that's the front lines of fighting climate change and fighting other issues that are related to the environment. And that always gets me really optimistic. Um, I guess the pessimism comes in when I just see, well, just when I remind myself of kind of where the power lies and in whose hands it lies and you know, the, the power that they have with regard to like money and politics and the kind of the big picture there. Um, so I love the idea of seeing all of these individual people um, going out and doing this hard work and making these projects and whatnot to fight climate change and fight environmental degradation. Um, but then it's always sort of balanced out with <laughs> reminding myself of the things I just mentioned with the, you know, those big corporations that it's in their best interest to keep polluting and they will until they're forced not to, you know?
2: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's incredibly well put.
1: Well, I think the other important idea is the, like we have, we have, the problem is really big, but if we get you know that first ten percent, that early, those early adapters to kind of change their behavior and change their lifestyle, and then we get the you know the first majority, the early majority, and then it's just kind of a, a domino effect with the late majority and the laggers. So the problem is really big, but you know shifting our focus to the people that will make the change initially instead of to everyone as a whole, I think is uh, some valuable insight to kind of keep in mind and be a little be a little sure more enough, optimistic.
2: I'll... I'll go a little further um, to give you optimism, regardless, because ultimately we're all we and everything on the planet is a carbon based life form, right? And so let's just say we completely destroy the planet for ourselves. You're making this amazing new planet that's going to have an abundance of carbon, accessible carbon for all sorts of organisms. And like maybe that's the best thing for the earth. It's like, they're gonna have like, they're gonna have all this carbon. Who knows what amazing organisms are gonna spring from it? This is twenty thousand years down the road, but you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like we always say, you know, you know, humans might be screwed, but the Earth is gonna be just fine.
2: They're not wrong.
1: I mean, I think I did hear Hans say new planet. So <laughs> welcome to our, our podcast.
2: So the planet where we theorize what the planet is going to be like in 20 years, <laughs> 200 years.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a nice note to end it on then. Cause Sweet. we are, uh, where are we? 46 minutes. Yeah. That yeah, was thanks, awesome. Hans.
2: Dope. We, we appreciate you being here, man. No, I appreciate you guys. Like, I'm sorry. I'm very scatterbrained. I think I I'm just thinking about like 10 things at once and it doesn't, it doesn't always work for a cohesive. <laughs>
1: no you did you did great hey, no, no worries we'll have to have you back on and we'll, we'll focus on a more specific topic instead of you know a general overview of what you're doing because I really enjoyed yeah, the absolutely. dialogue absolutely. that we all had
2: Fantastic. thank you
1: well thank you for listening to this episode of the new planet podcast I'm Xander Kipp
0: I'm Aiden Ursh.
1: see you later